You may be seated. The Lord bless you. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. We just give him praise and glory and honor today for his greatness. There's just nothing that can compare to being in the presence of the Lord. Nothing can compare to being with God's people. And we thank the Lord for the opportunities that we are given to, to congregate and to come together. And the Bible gives us a great, great promise. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of him. Huh? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad he's in the midst of us today? Aren't you glad that he's in the midst? And he always inhabits the praises of his people. Always inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. It's so just wonderful to be in his house. Uh, I ask you to continue to pray for Daniel. He lost his father this past week. And, and so we want to pray that during this time, God would give him peace comfort in his family and uh, in this time that, that they're they're going through and they're dealing with and uh, I told him on the phone I said I really don't understand what you're going through but I'm praying for you amen and sometimes we don't know what people are going through because you don't know till you go through what, what they go through and, and life has a way of taking us all through the same journeys. Uh, but I have not walked that journey yet. But my prayers are with him. That God would give him comfort and peace during, during this time. Amen. And uh, so good to see everybody today. You look good being in church this morning. Amen. Look good being here today. And we're going to go into the word of the Lord today. And. And uh, so appreciate the praise and the worship uh, today to bring us into the presence of the Lord. There's, there's nothing uh, that brings us into the presence of the Lord like music and singing. Uh, when, when Saul, king of Israel, was sent a troubling spirit from the Lord, it, it was David that he called to, to play on his harp to sing, uh, to comfort him during those times. And and the Lord, I believe the Lord's a musician. I, I believe that he's, uh, he, he loves to sing. Zephaniah told us that he would joy over us with singing. And, and so uh, it's in our nature and in our heart to do the same sing and uh, it doesn't matter if you can carry a tune or not uh, just something about singing sometimes it, it just makes you feel better amen and uh, I've, I've been I've been thinking now y'all y'all continue to pray for me because I'm not everything that I need to be okay I may be one of the few preachers that would admit that, but I'm not everything that I, I need to be. Uh, sometimes between talk radio, I hook up to some of those stations that play a little secular music. <clears throat> and I linger. Especially, especially if it's music from, from like the 80s. Especially if it's... If, <laughs> if it's groups like Chicago. Y'all pray for me, but I, I'm working on it. You know, put a little put a little Commodores in there, and I, and I may get stuck on Foreigner just a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you sanctified people. You, we're trying to get where you are. But but I begin to as I was preparing for today and for the month of November and and you're like you see you got to understand that preachers get they get inspiration from all kinds of things 
okay? And, and, and so as, as I was preparing for the month of November, I, I was asking the Lord, you know, what, what He would have me to speak on for the month of November. I like to do series because I think it builds one. How many understand we're in a building program? And, and, and we're building a spiritual house under the Lord. And, and so the Bible talks about line upon line. When, when he's talking about line upon line, he's saying, let's set everything in order because if, if, it, if, it's, if it's just confusion, then at the end of the day, Jesus would even say, what man is going to build a tower? But first he sits down. First he sits down and, and he, he considers what it's going to cost to build the tower. Lest he begin to build the tower and you get halfway into it and realize, hey, we're out of money. And you can't finish what you started. And so when, when I look at God, who is the master architect of the universe, and how he laid, the Bible said, help me somebody, he laid the foundation, he laid the foundations of the earth. God did it. The church is a building. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will I will build. He's a master builder. Master architect. And the Bible said, according to Peter, that you and I are lively stones built up into a spiritual habitation. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare. The word prepare there means to build. I go to build or prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be. I'm going to build a habitation. And so the Bible said, line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little and there a little. With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this generation or to this people. And so I like to do series because I think it's it's powerful how that we can we can build upon the word of God from week after week. And so I'm 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 asking the Lord what what he would like me to talk about for the month. And and believe it or not, what came to my mind was love songs. love songs you know and I, I begin to think about weddings when you go to a wedding now years ago they would sing songs like I'll love you until the 12th of never anybody remember that song some of you like huh that's way back there but but they would they would pick out these love songs and and so uh, uh, one of my favorite all-time love songs I mentioned foreigner is I want to know what Sorry, I know it's stuck in your head now. You know, I won't, I won't do any ballad of it, but you, you know the song. I want to know what love is. I think when I look at this generation, more than anything, this generation really wants to know what love is. Because the concept of love, when you mention the concept of love, for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's tainted. There's no true definition of love. And so Jesus would really introduce us to the concept of it when he's having a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he says that God so God so loved the world. But it doesn't stop there. Because love is more of an expression. Love is more an expression than just a concept or a word. 
See, that's why John would say, don't only love in word, love in indeed. Love, let let love be something that is 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 tangible, is something that, that people can feel. And so God so loved the world. Now, if it stopped there, then then we, we would have a very misconstrued view of love. But it doesn't stop there. It said love caused him to do something. Love caused him to give an expression. So God so loved the world that he, he gave. Because love is, is never really love until it's given away. And so we've been talking about John, been talking about John the Baptist for the past few weeks where Jesus asked the question, what did you go to the wilderness to see? He asked the question three times. And I think one of the things that's really missing in a lot of churches today is the very thing that caused God to step off his throne and place himself in a physical body to taste death for every man and it's true love true love so I want to talk about that today and and I want to call your attention to the book of Romans and and uh, just touch your neighbor and say we're going to find out what love is today oh why don't you mean it come on say it like you mean it today we're going to find out what true love is so here, here is, is, is Paul writing to the Roman church, and, and, and let's just, uh, we'll just kind of move down through the 13th chapter because you, you've got to take the word, how many understand you've got to take the word in, con, in, in, in its context? Are you all with me today? You've got to take the word in context. See, so many times, we can be guilty of, of extrapolating one verse out of the context. And in doing so, we manipulate it to reinforce a point, but we have really misused it in its proper context. So, Paul is going to set the stage, and, and let's begin verse number 1 here in Romans chapter 13. He said, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now what's he talking about here? He's talking about governmental authority. Let let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, civil authority. And he's going to explain this and as as he goes down through here, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So what he's saying is, the people that are in authority. Now, now to understand this, Paul is, is speaking to the Roman church, but he's speaking to the Jewish believers here. The Jewish believers, when it came to the Messiah, what they thought was going to happen was the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman yoke that was upon their neck and bring deliverance to them. They thought the Messiah was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom and they were going to be part of it and he was going to remove governmental authority from off of them and they would no longer be subject to anybody but God. And yet Paul comes along and he says, you've got to understand something here, ladies and gentlemen, that the powers that be are ordained of God. See, Daniel had a dream one day and he seen an image and, and the, the head was made of, of gold and, and the, the chest and the arms were made of other things all the way down to the feet that was made of iron and clay. Each part of that image represented a physical, earthly government. Now, get used to it, ladies and gentlemen, whether you like it or not, we are subject to earthly authority. And the Bible said that we need to do this with honor. 
we need to be subject to the authority because there is no authority but God. How many understand God raises up and God brings down? But the authority is given by God because no power exists except it exists because of God. And so Paul is saying to them that you need to understand where authority comes from. Verse number three, for rulers, or verse number two, let's not jump over that. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. Think about it. What happens when you break the law? Let me use the word. You owe a debt to society. That, that's what it's called. If, if you commit a crime, you owe a debt to society. And so they will, a judge then or a jury will impend upon you a sentence which is called paying your debt to society. Now that's, just keep that in mind because we're going to go somewhere with that. And so he said if you resist the authority, you know what happens? The judge pronounces a sentence upon you. You receive judgment. You speed now, I know we don't have any speeders here at all. Nobody slides through a red light every now and again. We go through on yellow. We just match the gas harder. They might as well take every yield sign on the loop down. Guilty. <laughs> Yielder. But if you get stopped and you get a ticket, there's judgment. So that's just, that's the point. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. So what he's saying is, and what laws are made for is to bring a society into compliance so there's no disorder. So there's a unity. And so he said, they're not rulers of terror, but of good works. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. If you obey the law, what happens? You don't get in trouble. Verse 4, For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. He is a minister of God, an avenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for the wrath. In other words, obey the law so you don't get the ticket. Right? Not only for the wrath, but for conscience sake. So you can go to bed at night. You know, have you ever been stopped and you weren't speeding? I was. I was stopped. For speeding. The officer said, do you know why I'm stopping you? I said, no, sir, I'm, I, I don't. He said, you were speeding. I said, no, sir, I wasn't. I had my cruise set. But my conscience said there were other times I probably should have. So he said, not only for the judgments that's coming, but sometimes for the conscience. You know, you 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 got to live with yourself. you got to speak the truth in your heart. So he says, render therefore to do all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And then he begins the next part by saying, oh, no man anything. And it would seem like the conversation has shifted. But in reality, Paul is saying, I set this up so I could show you that when you live under the law and under authority, there is duty involved. There's obligation involved. You do it so you don't get a ticket. 
you obey the speed limit. You stop at the yield signs. You, you do those things so you don't get the ticket. You don't suffer the wrath. And so now he says, but I'm going to show you something more powerful. And he's not just talking about not being in debt to the bank. He's saying, oh, no, man, anything. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? I'm talking about something that is not just a duty, but it's a choice. I'm not talking about something that you live under. See, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember testimony service where people would stand and say, you know, I, I, just, I just don't want to be lost. And they lived under the condemnation of, man, I've, I'm under this duty, I'm under this obligation. And the Bible said that we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Am I preaching to anybody today? And so he's saying, I want you to understand that the authority brings a duty and an obligation. But what I'm going to talk about is a law of liberty. I want you to understand that there's something you can live under where you're not in bondage to one another and you're not living an obligatory life to one another, but there is a life of freedom and power and glory and, 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 and such liberty that you can walk in and it's called the law of love. Paul said, I'm a prisoner under the Lord. What are you talking about, Paul? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm serving the Lord not out of, an, out of an obligation and not because, you know, I live under this burden. If I don't serve Him, I'm going to be lost and, and I'm going to, to hell and burn for eternity. No, I'm a prisoner of Him because I understand the concept that even though I was guilty of the law, that He reached down to me with love and picked me up. What's the old song said? Love lifted me. He didn't have to do it, ladies and gentlemen, because if you read previous to this, Paul said that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. What are you talking about, Paul? I'm talking about a law of love that you're not serving somebody because you have to. You're not under a duty to serve them, but it is a privilege that you live under. I don't owe any man anything. The only thing that I owe is to love you because he first loved me. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord a shout of praise. Woo! You know, have you have you ever have you ever had somebody do something for you that just then all of a sudden now you felt obligated to them? I mean, whether it was verbal or written or whatever. And and so Paul is going to use the concept of borrowing. Now, Solomon said that the borrower is, the, is what? Subject to the lender. I, now, I, I very seldom ever borrow anything from somebody because if I have a real propensity. If I borrow something from you, it's going to tear up. I mean, I just that's just me. I, I don't know if you all have that problem, but I've got that problem. And, and so I, I just... I mean, I don't like to borrow anything because if I borrow your car, the transmission goes out or something like that. I mean, just... And, and, and then then what happens? Oh, you live under this... This... You know, and, and you have people say, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, no big deal. And, and you know, every time they look at you, I mean, you, you don't know if they're thinking or not, but you think you, they're thinking it. And, and so the borrower, I feel the Holy Ghost up here today. The borrower is subject to the lender. See, when you totally understand the concept Paul has been talking about in 13 chapters, in, in 12 chapters previous to this, you, you begin to understand that what God did for us was not to put us under an obligation to Him where you would live under a bondage that 
oh, I've got to serve him because of what he did for me. No, it's the concept that he wants you to serve him out of a willing heart. A grateful heart. A generous heart. When I think of what he's done for me, it does not put me under an obligation that I've got to shout and praise him. But when I think of what he's done for me, it produces a generosity and in a gratitude. See, that's why you, ha you have to come to an understanding, ladies and gentlemen, that it's not the praise team is here to stimulate you to praise Him. Your praise ought to come out of a sense of He saved me when He didn't have to. He bought me when He didn't have to. He redeemed me and He doesn't expect anything back from it. But because I'm thankful... Because I'm grateful. My heart is filled with praise. And so I will enter His gates with praise and into His courts. Oh, somebody ought to put your hands together and give Him a little praise right now. Not because you have to, but because of the generosity of love that was produced. I wouldn't know generosity except love shows me a generous Savior. I wouldn't know how to love except He loved me. I was unlovable. And so Paul is going to expound on this. And he says, I want you to understand, don't owe any man anything. Don't obligate yourself to other people. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. I'll do this. And, and so there have been times that you know, I've, I've felt obligated to people because of what they had done. Now, whether it was real or not, I, I don't know, but, but it was real to me. Anybody feel me today? It was real to me. So anytime I seen them, I'm like, anytime their, call, their name came up on caller ID, Do I choose ignore or do I answer? Do I send it to voicemail? And so he said, Oh, no man, anything. But if you're going to be in debt, if you're going to be in debt to somebody, here's the debt you ought to have in your life is to be in debt with love. See, love, and we'll get to it here in a minute, but, but love does things not expecting y'all aren't here with me yet, but you're coming. Love does things not expecting anything in return anything back. See, that's why Jesus said, don't just make a feast and invite the people that's going to invite you to their... Don't, don't do things for people that have the ability to do things back for you. But real love is doing something for somebody that you know they don't have the resources to do anything back for you. So he said, when you're having a feast and you're making a dinner, invite people that may not even have a house to fix you a meal. I want to know what love is. This is love. When you do something for somebody that cannot return the favor. Jesus said, you're going to prepare a feast what was his feast he finally said well I invited them but they, they were busy doing other things so he says go to the highways and the hedges and compel compel the people to come to my feast because my table is open to people that can never fix me a, a meal 
He said, what thank you have when you do something for, for, for somebody that can, that's only going to reciprocate the favor back to you? True love, and we see this in the picture of God through Christ, when, when He would extend to humanity His grace and His mercy, knowing, think about it for just a moment, what, what can you do for God? said, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? But in reality, did he gain the whole world? Because all he did was accumulate what was God's. <laughs> so did he really gain the whole world? No, he just got put in charge in stewardship because God owns it all. The Bible says in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and even the people they that dwell therein. What can you but true love is displayed when you're in a position that you cannot get out of and God comes to you and picks you up out of the miry clay and puts your feet on a rock and establishes you. And so he said, don't owe any man anything except to do what? Love. And he said, For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Think about that. He that loveth another has fulfilled the law. And then he said, Let me give you what the law is. And he points to just a few things. He says, Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't, don't covet. What, what are they? So I don't mess them up here. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness or lie. And thou shalt not covet. He brings us to the five commandments that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, a lot of theologians ask the question, why does it not include honor thy father and mother? Because that would seem to be part. Because when you understand the Hebrew culture, Honoring your father and mother was in the same category as honoring God. And so when you honored your father and mother, it was the same thing as I'm honoring God because I came from my parents who came from God. And so when he brings us to the secondary commandments or the second five commandments, the first commandments deal with God and you're honoring Him. The second five commandments have to deal with me honoring you. So when I love you, I, I will not cheat with your spouse. When I love you, I will not steal from you. When I love you, I will not lie on you. When I love you, I will not covet what you have. When I love you, I am going to fulfill the law. See, this is why Jesus said when he was asked the question, what is the great commandment? The great commandment is to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second commandment is the same as the first. You love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's why John would come in his epistle and say, you can't even love God unless you love your brother or your sister who you see. 
See, you can't love God and cheat your fellow man. You can't love God and despise somebody because of, of their economic standards or, or their color or any kind of other thing. You can't love God whom you've not seen if you can't love your friend or your brother or your neighbor who you see every day. I, oh, I come in on Sunday. I love you, Jesus. But on Monday, I'm cussing my neighbors because of what they did. I come to tell somebody today, the Bible said, don't Oh, any man, anything. You got to look at your neighbor. I don't care how much they warp your left nerve, break it in two, tie it into a pretzel, and break it again. You got to have the love of Jesus flowing through you. When I look at what I had done to him, and yet he still loved me. When I look at what a sinner I was, and he still loved me, it lets me know what love really is. These commandments to say this is and isn't it amazing isn't it amazing that these are the same commandments that when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says to him good master what must I do to inherit eternal life Jesus said to him keep the commandments you know what he said I've kept them since my youth the problem was he was keeping the first five. But he had a problem with the second five. And it's a little poetic justice that Jesus would look at him. And, and let me just tell you, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' ministry, LLC, was, was not in problems, okay? So he didn't need the rich man to, to, to sell all that he had and give the ministry the money. But what he said to him was, go sell all that you have and do what? Give it to... Give it to poor. You know what that explains? That explains so much to me. His problem was not with God. His problem was with his fellow man. I, I, I'm of the belief. I'm of the belief. If the young man would have said, "Sure, no problem," but I'm also of the belief Jesus would have never had to say that if he really understood the law of God. Because if you study back, he was in violation of over thirty commandments out of Deuteronomy. And the Bible said he did what? He went away sorrowful. He went away pained in his spirit. Do you know some of the worst times of my life have been when I was pained in my spirit because of my relationship with other people? Ooh, you can see that coming when I failed to treat people, think about it, ladies and gentlemen, where would each of us be today if he treated us the way we had deserved to be treated? I know some of you think that you deserve to be here today. I know some people come and they think, well, you know, I, I, I've lived a pretty good life and, and I hadn't done too much wrong and, and, and you know, I, I, I really ought to be here. I got news for you. We were all born in sin and we were all shaping in iniquity. I've got news for you. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But love said, I love you anyway. Love said, I'm reaching for you anyway. Love said, I'll not give up on you anyway. Love said, I don't care how far you went. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you've been there. I still love you. Oh, somebody ought to really put your hands together and thank God for that. And just like the woman caught in the very act of adultery in John chapter 8, the Bible said when they said Moses' law says she should be stoned, were they right? Of course they were right. 
because Moses' law did say that. She was, she was to be stoned. But Jesus, for the first time, is going to give the qualifications for a stone thrower. exactly right she needs to be stoned what she did is in violation of the law of Moses and she deserves to die and if you qualify think about it. if you qualify you get to throw the first stone well what's the qualification he that's without sin I'll go over here for a minute. He that's without, I go to the center aisle. He that's without sin. He or she that's without sin. You have a right. And the only qualified stone thrower that day was Jesus himself. But he refused to pick up a stone. But instead, he stooped down. Man, I love this because there's so much in this story. This story is so powerful. The Bible said he stooped down and began to write in sand. The first time God wrote, he wrote in stone. Ever etched in stone but the second time when he stoops down he's not writing in stone ladies and gentlemen he's writing in sand because he knows the rain's going to fall my wife and I when we, we had our little trip a few months ago we stopped on the beach in, in, in Destin, Florida and, and one day we walked out onto the beach and, and we I walked down Near the water, and I was so amazed at the way the waves come in. And I would stand, and my feet print would, would be there in the sand. But you let the water come in and go out. The water comes in and goes out. And it wasn't just one or two times, and my footprints was completely gone. Jesus understood if I write it in stone. Their sin will be ever held against them. But if I write it in the sand, the wind and the wave and the rain is coming. That's what love is, ladies and gentlemen. Love says, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know what you're thinking. But I still love you. I'm still reaching for you. Bible said he stood up and said he that's without sin cast the first stone and then I love it because the Bible said he stooped down again I just got to pause a moment and thank him because he's the God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth I, I just got to pause for a moment because because sometimes, uh, even as long as I've had the Holy Spirit operate in my life, uh, I still fall beneath the dignity of a Christian. Uh, but grace comes, uh, and mercy comes, uh, and love comes, uh, and says, I still love you. I still want to put my arms around you. Mercy is... I want to know what love. I want to know what love is. And then he... he and, and we'll close right here. We'll close here. But in verse number 10... He said, love worketh no ill towards your neighbor. Put that, put that next verse up if you would, verse 11. He said, oh, where am I? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Let's go back up here. Okay. Yeah, I guess verse number 10. Sorry about that. Verse number 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Because see, I think sometimes we think we get a free pass in our relationship with God because we don't see Him. But let me show you how your love towards God is seen. 
your love towards God is seen through how you treat one another. I love God. I love God but you're fussing at people who stop for the red light when you think they should have and I'm guilty my wife says they can't hear you then I want to tell her to be quiet I don't it's been very long enough I'm not a fool Let me help you even further. Let me take it. Let me nail it down even further. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he explains, and I would challenge you, each of you, to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because chapter 13 says that love thinketh. Oh God. See, we think the sin isn't until it becomes an action. Or a word. Let me let me just nail it down for you. The sin begins in the heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth. The hand is only doing what the heart. I've seen some of your California greetings. It's, it's not the action, ladies and gentlemen, because love, love begins with a thought. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word. Where do you think grace started? Oh, we look at Calvary and think, well, that's where mercy started. No! Paul said that before the foundations of the world were ever laid, we were found in Him. Love started before there was a world, ladies and gentlemen. Love started in the mind of God. And let me tell you where love starts in us. It starts in here. It's not the pie you make for your neighbor. That's a good gesture, but that's not where the love starts because you can make a pie and put X-Lax in it. God, I don't know why I say these things. Y'all need to pray for me. One of the best Christmas parties we ever had as young people, we put the we put those little white X-Lax gums, you know, you can get. We put them in a bowl mixed with chitlin gum. That was a very moving experience. Made hot chocolate with chocolate X-Lax. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm repenting. No, confession's good for the soul. I was involved in it. Some of you are thinking some really bad things you did in your young, younger days right now. But it begins in the heart. The cross. Yeah, it's displayed in time. It's a historical event. It really happened. It started way back before the world existed. It started before trees had ever been placed on the earth. Have you ever thought about it, ladies and gentlemen? He had to grow a tree so he could have a Calvary. Because that's love. And if you want to know what love is, ladies and gentlemen, that is love. John would write as I close John would write he said hereby receive we the love of God that he would lay down his life for us therefore we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren 
True love begins in a prayer meeting when you begin to pray for your neighbor that God would save them. True love begins in a closet where you're praying for somebody that has despitefully used you. True love begins in, in a prayer room where you're praying for people that talk bad about you. Because that's what love is. And the greatest display of love is displayed through God who would reach down for a people who could not reach up to pull them out of the depths of sin, death, and destruction. You know, the Bible makes a really powerful, powerful statement when it says that he tasted death for every man. He tasted death You know what that you know what that means is that we had a death sentence now I'm talking to you today talking to me we had been sentenced to death by the eternal judge of the universe but here steps Jesus who said hey hey I will take their death sentence. I mean, have you ever heard of anybody that would walk into a prison and say, you know, so-and-so's on death row. I'll take their their penalty. I'll take their punishment. Let, Let me die. Scarcely will one die for another. Trade my freedom for your captivity. Yet that's exactly what Christ did when he stepped to the eternal judgment seat of God and he said the death sentence that hangs on humanity put it on me and he said no man takes my life from me the Roman soldiers didn't force him on a cross And I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but I feel the love of God in this house. The Roman soldiers, those nails, do you think those nails really could have held him to the cross? I mean, he had to pray in the garden, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink this cup. But he said, No man takes my life from me. I willingly lay my life down. That's love. I said, that's love. You want to know what love is? Love is that you don't have to walk out of this place the same way you came in. What love is, uh, is that you can walk out of here free in Christ. Uh, What love is, uh, is that you can walk out. You may still have some of the life problems uh, that you walked in with, but inside of you, uh, you will be a brand new creature. Uh, You may be subject uh, to some of the pains uh, of physical life and just lifestyle problems, uh, but inside uh, there'll be eternal life uh, flowing through you. Uh, There'll be eternal breath in your lungs. Uh, You'll walk out of here knowing what love really is.